0: just in here, I'll leave you in the mirror and forget what we look. Lord, we love your hearts with the obedience to do them. We love you and we amen. All right, so I saw this great quote that uh, it, it, you'll see where the story comes from here in a second, but you can count the apples on the tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? And I know that, that it's, it's interesting to me because let's not discount the power of telling one person about Jesus Christ, just one, okay? Because we don't know how many other trees are going to come from that one seed, right? And we don't know how many apples on each one of those trees, and how many seeds in each one of those apples. Each one of them it is an exponential effect. So we're going to talk about this guy Edward Kimball. Anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? That's right. Nobody. Nor should you. <laughs> okay. So Edward Kimball is a Sunday school teacher, okay? And so he's up there and if you've ever taught Sunday school, uh, it is a small rebellion especially if they're younger. You are, if, you're, if you have had experience with insurgencies as an adult, you're going to do well in this. Or if you're, let's say, a sea captain and you've dealt with a mutiny, that's Sunday school, right? Okay, so he, he's herding cats in Sunday school, and he's praying with intentionality for each one of his students. He's like, look, it's a small job, but it's my job. So he prays about it. Then he comes in there, and there's this one clown who, comes, who just is denser than all the other clowns, right? He's just not getting it, right? And it turns out to be this guy, Dwight L. Moody. In fact, he says, I can truly say that I have seen few persons whose mind were spiritually darker than his was. When he came to my Sunday school class, I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely to ever become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to fill an extended sphere of public usefulness. Like, even useful to public, not even in the church, you know? I mean, that's kind of harsh words from your Sunday school teacher, right? Okay, but he witnesses to this one guy. And the way he did, he's like, this guy's so dense, Sunday school's not enough. He chased him down at his place of work, which is in a shoe store, cornered him in the storeroom of the shoe store, right? And then told him about Jesus Christ again. And the guy, Dwight O. Moody, accepts Jesus Christ in the storeroom of a shoe store while he's working on a Saturday. But then what happens? He becomes an evangelist, and he witnesses to thousands. He witnesses to thousands more, and we don't know what each one of those stories is unique, each one of them, but we know about one of them. We know that he, will, he witnesses to a guy named Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman, as a result, in addition to the thousands that Dwight L Moody preached to, right, he becomes an evangelist. He witnesses to thousands and thousands more. We don't know about what happens with those guys, but we know what happens with one. He has an evangelistic crusade, and this guy comes in here who's a professional baseball player. Now, this is when professional baseball players didn't make any money, apparently, (laughs) you know, but a professional baseball player comes in, hears him, gets saved that night, quits professional baseball to become an evangelist, that's Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday begins evangelistic crusades once Wilbur Chapman becomes a pastor of a larger church. So he starts witnessing to to thousands. And we don't know what happens with each one of those, right? But we know what happens with one of them. This guy, Mordecai Ham. Mordecai? We all know Mordecai. No, nobody knows Mordecai. I don't know Mordecai, anyway. Right, but Mordecai decides I'm going to do evangelism. So he goes to a town in North Carolina, and he's going to witness there. And he finds out when he gets into town that there's a high school there with literally a brothel across the street, right? And that the boys from this high school are going at lunch are going over the brothel. So he's going to speak about that. Well, the boys the high school find out he's going to speak against what they've been doing, and so they decide they're going to come and interrupt the message. Well, one guy comes, whose name is Billy Frank, comes that night in order to shout him down. And he sits there and he listens, he's intrigued the first night, but then he comes back the second night. And what's interesting is that's this guy, Billy Graham, right? And Billy Graham, what does he do? He witnesses to tens of millions. The interesting thing is there's a reason why I made this a circle, Right? There's a reason this comes back to Edward Kimball. Why? You don't have an Edward Kimball witnessing to one person. You don't have a Billy Graham witnessing to tens of millions. And in fact, Billy, Billy Frank eventually becomes Billy Graham and he preaches to more people than anyone ever did, including the Apostle Paul. And the fascinating chain of events is triggered by a Sunday school teacher. One person witnessing to one person. Ends up here. Okay, It'd be, look very different if Edward Kimball wasn't faithful. one person. So, uh, myself and Mike Kelly, we were chatting the other day, and, and we get into this idea in Matthew 28 where it talks about uh, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven uh, and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Well, the interesting thing is you could also translate that as as you go, in the, as you go about your day. You could go or just as you're going. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to. Matthew 28. The interesting thing is, it, it, I think it's if you ask, is it go or as you go? The answer is yes, <laughs> it's both, right? It is pick up and go somewhere else. But it is as you go wherever you're at, okay? And this is important. Why? So we have this idea, therefore go. So Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him and gave him authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Don't go among the Gentiles, he gives them a specific range of operation or any of the town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Matthew 10. So this is, you're here now, I want you to go there. We are, we have a group that are doing this, with Alec Zach Zacharoli here soon, that's going to South Africa. If this is something, if you're told right now, if the Lord's talking to you, or later on, he says, get up and go to this, then you need to get up and go to that. It does what it's told, right? Okay, but it's a very, it's a specifically defined mission. Then we look over here with he sends out Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke 10 it says after this the lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of them to, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go he told them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field the key part is he says i need you specifically to go to these specific places that i'm about to go specifically defined mission for what they're supposed to do And it's not necessarily right here. It's pick up and go there. Okay. Same thing. Paul and Barnabas are commissioned. Therefore, go. It says, Among the prophets and the teachers in the church of Antioch in Syria, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. Acts 13. This leads to Paul's first missionary tour. Again, Specifically defined mission. It's like, look, I need these two to get up and go there. And sometimes it's maybe not clear because we know from Paul. You know, he got out there and it was, he was redirected once he was, you know, headed downrange. The key part is that's one aspect of it. And it's an important aspect of it. And I'll say it again. If you're interested, if, this is, if the Lord's moving your heart to do this, we can hook you up with Alec. Okay? The women have already gone and come back from this. We should continue to do it. But there's a second part of this. Okay? Well, we'll get to the second part. All right, here's some of the lessons. And one is, they're uniquely called. The Lord put it on their heart. What? The normal place is for you to be where you are. God called you in this spot. That's normal to stay there. There's nothing wrong with that. So you're specifically called, and you're uniquely gifted, and specifically directed. You're told, go there, do this. And the Lord moves in your heart to do it. You know, you're wondering, I wonder if I should go. I don't know. Pray about it. And if the Lord says, go, get up and go. Okay? And the interesting thing here is this came out of uh, the last men's breakfast, someone came up and pointed this out was that Jesus didn't necessarily didn't call the equipped or the talented. He equipped those he called. So I, there's this, there's this I, I don't know, this is just this is opinion. this is not on the on the realm of opinion, you have God's opinion. you have the Bible, church, Pastor Marty, me. <laughs> you're right. My opinion. Uh, we take these tests about what your spiritual gifts are, right? What I found in the Marine Corps is that when I got sent to a new place to do a new mission, what the commander did was he grabbed the things that I would need and attached them to me. He gave me the stuff that I would need for whatever mission he called me to. So first ask. Before we ask about your talent, ask what God wants you to do. And if God's telling you to do something, just do it. Just do it. You know, be faithful, be obedient, don't be talented. He can do more with obedience than he can with talent, I suspect. Okay, the next part, as you go. Now, this is the second half of it. And I suspect that for the majority of us, this is where we need to be. And the question is, um, if we can't be faithful in the little, how are we going to be faithful in something big like going to the other side of the planet? This should be, we wake up every morning in our mission field. It starts. As soon as you put your foot on the floor, you're in your mission field. So this was something that, that hit me the other day when uh, Dale Wickheiser and I were talking. And it's the woman at the well. Okay, So John 4. We've all heard the story, so I'm going to move through this fairly quickly. Okay, So Jesus is tired. He, asks a, he sits down at a well and asks a Samaritan woman for a drink. Uh, the Samaritan woman blanches at first at the thought of giving a drink to a Jew because Jews and Samaritans didn't interact. But he tells her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So she asks, well, you think you're greater than Jacob? our forefather who dug this well? And Jesus is like, well, funny that you should ask. Yes. I, I, yeah, I, I do think I am greater than Jacob, your father who dug the well. And whoever drinks my water will never thirst again. So she cracks a wise crack, You know, so she's sarcastic on the back. Which Jesus leads in and informs her that not only does he know her and know her intimately, he knows her and he knows that she's been married several times, been divorced several times, and the guy that she's currently living with is not her husband. Okay? And the interesting thing is that after this, through this conversation, she realizes she's not just dealing with a prophet. She's dealing with the Messiah, right? And what she runs and tells everyone in the town. Now, we're going to talk about this in a second. What could she possibly have told them? What, is the New Testament written at this point? Could she have walked, led them down Romans Road, right? Could she have walked everybody through all the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus as the Messiah, it's unlikely she knew he was a Samaritan. She couldn't have told him much, could she? And yet, whatever she told him, says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman... We no longer believe just because of what you said, we now have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So I want you to concentrate on a couple of things. What could she possibly have told him? What, what could she possibly have learned in the course of the minutes that she's talking? And the second part is, what could she have done? Like, what, what happened? Who is it that changed things? What was her role in this, really? All right. Let's do this. We're going to do another story. Okay. This is fun with geography. <laughs> okay. So let me orient you to the mouth. To the map here. This is north. Okay. So we've got the Sea of Galilee. We've got the Dead Sea. We've got this little funny river here, the Jordan, that separates the two. This is northern Israel over here on the left. This is northern Jordan up here on the right. Every one of the towns you see that are in black is the Decapolis, the ten cities. You'll hear this a lot whenever you're reading about Jesus and the, and the Gospels. And you almost always hear about it in this tiny little space here, the region of the Decapolis, the ten cities, and it's usually adjacent to the Sea of Galilee. Why does that matter? You're going to see in a second. Okay, so these are the regions of the Decapolis. Each one of the provinces that are associated with it, there's only one that's missing, and that's Damascus. That's non-contiguous. It's all the way up here to the north. But again, whenever you hear the Decapolis and you hear the Sea of Galilee, we're talking about a tiny region that hugs right up against the Sea of Galilee, and it's in the provinces of the Dapolis. This is a bigger one. See, we're going big to small. Now you know where we're at. Okay, so this is the Sea of Galilee, a topographic map. Now this is, there's a town here called Hippos and Kersey. okay? The interesting thing about this is, this is the area where, more than likely, Jesus healed the demoniac, right? And the pig uh, drove the, the demon, demonic spirits into the pigs. They rush off a cliff. If you look around here, there's not very many places uh, that you could have had a cliff, right? So it's probably in this region. This is also the region, strangely, where Jesus feeds the 4,000 after he feeds the 5,000. So, everybody got the orientation on where we're at now? Very good. All right. So, as you go, the former demoniac. So, in Luke 8, 26 through 39, Jesus heals a demoniac. He he drives out these spirits. And, like we know, the spirits go into these evil spirits, go into the pigs. The pigs run off the cliff, right? And the reaction there's two reactions. There's a reaction of the former demoniac. And all the people, it says the people of the region, right? And what does it say? It says, then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged him, begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town, how much Jesus had done for him. Now, what's interesting is when you read other translations, it says he didn't just go home; he went back to the what? To the Decapolis, to those ten regions, and he's walking around there. Now, if you ever see Darren and he's and, and you're going to talk about football, and it's, let's say the Cowboys won, and he's walking toward you, what do you assume he's going to start talking about? He's going to talk about the Cowboys. Or you see me and you're like you start talking about uh, like famous people. I'm going to tell you the time about the, for the 300th time that I saw Ric Flair. in in an airport in North Carolina. It's like, did I tell you the time that I saw Ric Flair in the airport in North Carolina? Like, yes, you've told me that before, right? Now imagine, you run into the demoniac guy, right? And he's, he's walking around in the towns. You see him coming again, what's he gonna talk about? Hey, did I tell you that time that Jesus drove out a legion of demons into the pigs? They ran off the cliff and stuff like that. How many people has this guy told now? In fact, I would even ask, what does he ever talk about? Does he have something better to talk about? No, I mean, it's you're, okay, he's got the one-up story. You've met the guy, he's going to, you like, I told this story. It, no, he's got you. Driven out of you? Did you see pigs run? No. Okay, well, guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about that. It, he's got you, right? And that's all he's going to talk about. So then Jesus leaves from that area. He crosses the Sea of Galilee, and then he makes his way over, you're going to have to imagine, over here to the left, over here by this, the coastline in Tyre and Sidon. So then we see Jesus healing the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, right? We'll not get into that story, but you can look at it on your own in Mark 7. Right after that, in Sidon, these are all cities right on the coast. They would constitute southern Lebanon or the area of northern Israel right next to the coast. Jesus heals a deaf and mute man in Sidon, and then he leaves and heads southwest until he hits the Sea of Galilee, then he bangs the right, okay? And then he Goes to back to this area of the Decapolis, the region right next to the Galilee. Right? What's interesting is now remember he was just asked to leave by the people of this region only a short period ago, but then you got this demoniac running around telling everybody about this. He can't stop talking about it. And during those days, another large crowd followed, started following Jesus. But this crowd's different because it follows him for days, and in a remote area, there's no food, there's nothing there. So Contrast this. He's feeding 4,000. What explains the change? For they're begging him to leave initially, right? But now they're willing to follow him for three days in, remote, in a remote area without food. So this is some observations of as you go. Remember, there really is go, get up, go. I've told you to go somewhere. Get up and go and go do what I told you. But there's also, you're here. You're already here in the mission field. As you go, what should you do? one. What could the woman of well have told the whole town about Jesus? All she can tell him is what he did in her life in that t- tiny little time frame. What could the demoniac have said? He can only tell. He d- there is no indication that he knows anything about Jesus other than what he knows about Jesus in that time frame that he had an interaction with him. He doesn't have Romans. If you guys don't know it, you guys can look it up. But when I first started thinking, man, I need to tell people about Jesus, and I was like, well, how do I do it? Then you start learning Romans, and it's a good thing. It walks you through the whole gospel, and it's a good thing, right? But let's say you don't know that right now, and you leave from this building. There's an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ. What do you need to know? What did he do for you? That's the most powerful story. Second part, the woman in the well. uh, What was the woman in the well's uh, role? What was the demoniac's role? His role was to provide the introduction. That's it. Did the woman at the well save anybody? Not even one. Did the former demoniac save anybody? No. What was their role? They introduced the unsaved to the Savior. That's all they did. They provided the... They're like, here, I can't help you, but I know who can. Let me introduce you to them. That's it. That's all they could do. And here's the funny part is how many people came as a result of of her just sharing what Jesus did in her life. The entire town picks up and comes. How many came as a result of the former demoniac? At least 4,000 men. That doesn't even count women and children. Right? So just think about that. And here's the last part. Who could have told their stories better than them? Like, if I share the the story of the woman at the well or the demoniac, it's a good story. It really is. But it lacks the power of of the person being the the instrument, the protagonist in the story, right? So I have to ask you this. What is it that you, only you could uniquely share about what Christ has done in your life that has power? So, uh, clearly that didn't fit on the screen the way I thought it would, right? But this is the parable of the sower. And it really made me sad. When I was younger and I first read the parable of the sower, I was really sad. Because I assumed You know, when I first read it, I was saved at the time. I knew I was the guy with the weeds, right? I knew it. There was no, I didn't doubt it. I knew it was. It was me, right? And I thought, oh, crap, man, I'm stuck. Then I thought, well, that's pretty stupid. (laughs) Which farmer would be like, ugh, got weeds, and just walk off? He's not going to walk off. He's not going to be like, well, I got weeds. Nothing I can do, you know? No, he's going to go pull the weeds up. Which farmer's going to be like, oh, I got some ground out there that's been hard packed. The seed won't even go in. That oh, was a nice run. I'm going to have to look for some new land. No! What's he going to do? He's going to go till the soil. Or he puts the in and he's going to realize there's, there's rocks underneath. What's he going to do? He's going to go out there with this, that, big iron, that big steel pole and start breaking through that stuff. He's not going to let you stay in the type of soil that you are when he first found you. But here's the frustrating part. When I first started you know, trying to witness to people about Jesus Christ, nobody was getting saved! Literally, I'd sit there for hours. I was like, this can't be right. I mean, Billy Graham does this for 20 minutes and like tens of thousands come up. I can't get one, right? You know, and and it was frustrating. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Then I realized after I read this, we're farmers. 90% of what's going on happens below the ground. You don't get to see it. It's happening in the heart. Every now and then, boom, you see something come up and you get a harvest. But that doesn't mean you're not a farmer. How important is it to till the soil? It's just as important to till the soil, to plant the seed, to break up the rock, to fertilize, to water, to weed. Each one of those tasks are just as important as the guy who harvests. They're absolutely critical. And the problem is, is that we, because we don't always see the harvest ourself, we think that we're not doing anything, and we stop doing it. Oh, my God, what if we do that? How many harvests are you going to see later if we're not tilling the soil at the front end? So here's what I would like us to all consider is that we may not be harvesting, but we are doing stuff. So maybe when you're talking, that you're talking to this kid about Jesus Christ or what he's done with you, you may just be identifying that sin exists, that it's real, and that he might be a sinner. Maybe that's, it, that's the extent of it. Maybe that's all that needed to happen in that conversation. Maybe the next part, you found someone who's excited about Jesus Christ, loves hearing about it, but there's this one sin, they're holding on to that, that hard place in their heart that's got to be broken. You don't know if that's your role because you can't see what's happening under the ground, right? Maybe your job is weeding. You come in there and you see somebody that, hey, he loves to listen to the Bible, but this guy's overwhelmed by what? The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And what are you doing? All you're doing is sharing what he shared with you. Here's what he did in my life because he's going to uniquely use your circumstances, Dallas's circumstances, to tell him, dude, you know you're being choked right now. Like the joy that you could otherwise have is being choked out by what? The deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this world. You could only share what he's done with you. Now, you can share the rest of the Bible and stuff, but that's the most powerful story you have. Then we got the fertilizing. Your job may be to pour in the word of God, Maybe that's just it, just that little bit, move on. Maybe it's watering, it's sharing living water. We each bring the measure of the Holy Spirit that we show up to church with, and you can't hide it. What did did Jesus say? Waves of living water is gonna flow out of your life into everybody around you, right? Your job may just to be that friend and to share with him the Holy Spirit that you've been given. Then, every now and then, and it's amazing, it's so much fun, is the harvesting. You see, and you actually pray with someone to accept Christ. And after you've harvested, you still got to tend the crop. We still have to disciple. So it's, yeah, lead them to Christ, but then the next part is, we've got to point in which direction to go. We've got to continue to t- tend the crop. Okay, so this is a little bit unique for the discussion card. If you've got your little card there, what we're going to do is we're going to do a Yelp review. Okay? So, this is, I told you about this at the breakfast. My wife won't go to a, 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 a hotel a restaurant, until she reads the Yelp review for it. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense, baby. And she's like, no, you don't understand. It's not the business who's writing this. And I was like, maybe it is, maybe it ain't. It's people that have benefited from it themselves, right? That's the power of it, is that it's assumed, not that it's this um, uh, Machiavellian like it, it advertising strategy. They're trying to convince you of something that's not real. It's like all the Yelp review says, this is what that business did for me. So we're going to write, this is what Jesus did for me. So the first thing I need you to write is B.C. What were you like? One sentence. It's got to be pithy. What were you like? B.C., before Christ. Two, how did God get a hold of your heart? One sentence. That's it. Three, this is your elevator speech. This is your bluff, your bottom line up front. What did Christ do to change your life, and how are you better or different? That's it. Pithy statement. One, three, these, so far, there's only three sentences. Four, what is Jesus likely to do for the other person if they believe? Once you've done that, we're going to take five minutes right now, and you're going to write that down, just five. And then I want you to, without commenting on each other's, because we'll just get stuck doing that all day, right, is I want you to quickly read that all around the table and then discuss it. So number one, five minutes, write. Number two, brief around the table. Shouldn't take more than a minute or two to each do. Do not comment on each other's work yet. Three, at the end, talk about whatever time remains. I know that it sounds uh, silly or, or funny, but Lord, I pray that it would be something that we would actually have something to say about what you've done for us in our life, and that we would just get good at sharing that one thing. We love you, Lord, and give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.